This is Manifest Zone, the podcast that explores the breadth and depth of the world of Eberron. I'm one of your hosts, Wayne Chang. I'm Keith Baker. I'm Imogen Jinjo. And in this episode, we'll be jumping out of the fire and into the soup of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, available now or soon, depending on when you're listening to this, from Wizards of the Coast. Um, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening. And uh, if you're kind of here, you might, and you've been listening to us, you'd probably be expecting Kabara right now. Uh, we're sorry, we're going to push that back one more month. And we're going to be doing something because we actually got a preview um, and a chance to review uh, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. And specifically, how does this relate to Ebron or how do we translate it to Ebron? Just quick shout out to Greg Tito and uh, Bill Benham from Wizards. Thank you very much for hooking us up with this. And uh, we're going to be diving in. So uh, we have no references whatsoever. Um, if you have the book already or have a copy of the book, great. You can kind of follow along and see what we're saying. If you don't, we're going to be introducing these classes and these concepts from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything and then kind of put, giving our Ebron take on it. <clears throat> right. So um, that's basically where this is coming from. So um, no real references. If you have mm-hmm. the book, great. If you don't have the book yet, um, go get it. I, I, general comments is I think I like it. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, just from a, a general point of view now, um, is that what is this book? Now, if you've had, if you got Xanathar's, um, uh, Xanathar's uh, Guide to Everything, did I get that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, from a couple of years back, you know, this is the the same idea, just sort of expanding the mechanics, expanding the universe, expanding some uh, additional rules and mechanics to give more of a structure and framework to doing some of the stuff that you may not have done before. Um, so in this book, there's uh, four chapters. Obviously, there's a Dungeon Master tool section, which was the same as Xanathar's before. But specifically why we wanted to look at this, other than the fact that we wanted to get this early and sort of look at it and be like, oh, I got it. I, I know what I'm going to play next time. Why did we want to talk about it is because while Tasha – now, Tasha is um, Tasha is a character from Greyhawk, mm-hmm. and she's a, a planeswalk, a plane hopper and, and you know, associated a lot with the, the demon Gratz, the demon prince Gratz. Um, one of the major things is that Whenever we get a book like this, people immediately want to run and use it for their current campaign. If you're listening to us, you probably play or want to play Eberron, or maybe you're running Eberron. So this is really a chance for us to give you a little bit of insight um, a little bit before it launches and, and give you a chance to sort of really take a look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to sort of start a little bit reverse than we would usually do. We usually start with um, the DM side and, and how that works. We're going to start with the player side today, and we're going to look and be like, hey, Players, you're going to get this book and you're, you're going to consume it and eat it. Um, sorry, I mean, you're going to read it. <laughs> Freudian slip there. Uh, no, not really. Um, so you're going, to cons- you're going to be consuming this book. You're going to look at the, the content and you're going to go, well, how does this apply? And some of you might be going, well, how do I convince my dungeon master to let <laughs> me use this stuff, right? Um, but let's start off. I mean <clears> – <throat> First content is basically character origins and customizing that. And and Keith, I know you had a couple comments about this. I do. Uh, so one of the things I'd say that's important to call out uh, right from the start is right in the very beginning in the section called Use This Book, uh, there's a paragraph labeled, It's All Optional. And that's a very important thing to call out with this specifically, even more so, I'd say, than with Xanathar's. Uh, where essentially this book offers a whole lot of different things you could do uh, 
but that it is all, you know, very much calls out. It is up to each group and specifically each DM to decide which of these things you do that you are not necessarily expected to use everything in this book. You're supposed to look through and decide, well, we want to do this, but we don't want to do that. And so, you know, sort of with that in mind, uh, it starts off with a discussion of how you can modify uh, racism. One of the points is this isn't just saying this is how races are now. It's saying, well, this is something you could do either as a blanket thing or if a player has a particularly cool idea that just doesn't quite fit the standard uh, model. And essentially, uh, what it does is it suggests uh, that you could swap out certain features of your race for something equivalent. You could exchange an ability score increase for a different ability score. You could swap out a language. You could exchange a skill, tool, or weapon proficiency for something of similar level. So it doesn't let you swap out abilities like, say, Fey Ancestry, you know, uh, or things like that, Halfling Nimbleness. You know, but the idea of it is that proficiency with a weapon really should be something you learn, not something that is in your genetics. And therefore, why can't you have an elf who just was never actually trained to use the longsword? You know, that, and this is what that's trying to get. Now, I strongly support this uh, in part because this is something. We called out in Rising from the Last War, where we started this off specifically with languages. And we were saying, hey, you should change your racial languages if they don't make sense with where you're from. If you're a dwarf from Sharn, you may very well have never learned to speak dwarvish, but you lived in Malian's Gate and learned Goblin. And that's sort of what this is about, is saying, I've got a character where there's a there's a good reason I'm a dwarf. But these abilities just don't make sense. I shouldn't, you know, there's no particular reason for me to have weapon proficiencies uh, or to know brewer's tools. And so I very much approve of that. Uh, It's very specific, again, as to what can be changed. It says, hey, you could swap an ability. You know, you could basically just change up and say there is a good reason why my dwarf should have a high intelligence uh, instead of a high constitution. Languages swapped for languages. And proficiencies, it's very specific about, hey, you could trade a skill for a skill. You could trade an armor proficiency for a tool or weapon proficiency. Uh, But it's not just letting you swap out anything for anything. And so I very much approve of the point uh, that, you know, basically, if you are a Terranidal elf, hey, you can just swap scimitars for longswords. If you're a elf that grew up in Sharn, you may not have weapon proficiencies at all. Wayne, do you have a thought? Yeah, specifically, there's two things I want to call out here, and, and Keith's right on. Number one is we've always used the 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 monarch, we, we've always used the, the title race. And I know for some people, um, that's not as comfortable as as that. It's it's a it's a very legacy thing. Yeah, so I, use, I use species a lot. I will say yeah. in uh, in my articles and such because it really is species. Yeah. So they use the word lineage. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know, and I, I believe Pathfinder uses ancestry now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not quite. I'm not quite sure. I'm not a, a Pathfinder player, um, but they use the word line, lineage, which is which is definitely an, a, a a very interesting, uh, a good word. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing, obviously, when we're talking about Eberron, is your nationality. Mm-hmm. Your nationality matters more than your race. 
Um, because if you're from Brelin or you're from Seer, it doesn't matter if you're elf, human, dwarf, Dalkir, well, maybe that does matter, but you know, um, it matters that you're from that nationality. And that nationality makes a bigger difference uh, in Eberron. And for for new listeners, you may be hearing this for the first time. Um, for for people who've, who've played, obviously, this is very familiar to you. But giving giving us this ability, maybe not ability, but giving us this sort of like, here's how you would make those modifications, makes it a lot easier to be like, well, my Korvar um, from Seer is much different than my Korvar from Brelin, but we're mm-hmm. still half elves the same right. way. But we have different we have different right. ways of doing it. And, and maybe half elf is not the best idea because it's got a lot of flexibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But, <laughs> but you, you kind of get what I'm saying. I'm saying an elf from here and an elf from there and an elf from Aranol are completely different, right? And we did that in Exploring Eberron. We changed a couple of the traits uh, for Aranol elves um, because we, obviously we didn't have right. this available. Um, one of the things just on a mechanic side, <clears throat> some people are like, oh, I want to change all this stuff around. There's a reason why certain mechanics will work. So um, you cannot change anything into an armor proficiency. Why? Because armor proficiencies are part of the mechanical balance of the game. So you can't be like, well, I have martial weapons. I want to change that to, uh, you know, light armor proficiency. That doesn't happen. Right. Um, but it does say like you can change armor to a weapon or a tool. You go skill to skill. You don't add extra skills here. Um, it's generally tool um, and and tools will go to a simple weapon, and simple weapons go to a tool. That kind of stuff. And and that's one of the things that grabs me about it is one of the other logical reasons to do this is frankly a lot of times those weapon proficiencies uh, are useless if you're already playing a character who has them. Uh, so I'm going to play a dwarf fighter. It kind of sucks for me that there's this chunk of my character that I get for my class. Now this lets you, if the DM allows it. Swap that out for something you can use. But as you were just saying, Wayne, if you're swapping out weapon proficiencies, all you can swap them out for is either other weapon proficiencies or for tools. And to me saying, oh, hey, now there'll be more characters out there with some tool proficiencies, which are largely, uh, you know, more colorful and story driven things to have. Nothing wrong with that, you know. With that, oh, uh, Imogen? Oh, I was just going to, I don't know if you had a thought on that, but I I was just going to circle back to the ability score increases. Yeah, I was just about to talk about that too. (laughs) You first. And I I think um, often you see when people are are talking about some of these um, mechanical suggestions is more of a Mm -hmm. hesitance to change ability scores than, say, proficiencies or languages. Um, but I think a lot of the same principles apply. Um, and I think there's great sort of strength in the flexibility. Um, for example, if you were, if you wanted to play a half orc character who was born and raised in Ondere, has a lot of, um, say, I don't know, sure. all, all the education, and and you want to be able to tie your character into some of that half orc backstory, but you want to uh, still sell the idea that they're a smart Ondarian wizard without feeling necessarily like you're taking a hit for that, unless you want to. So, so I think the thing to me about that is I agree. 
I, for proficiency in some languages, I was just like, oh yeah, great. This makes perfect sense. For ability scores, I was like, Ugh. Uh, in part because to me, once you say basically everybody can get a bonus to anything, that detracts from the idea of, well, what does this species even mean? You know, if it's not that, oh, half orcs are stronger. Uh, but I think what you just said is the key point. It's not saying that this flexibility applies to every member of this species. Right. It's saying that your specific character may be unusual. Mm -hmm. So we're not saying that the world is full of, of elves with a plus two strength. We're saying if your particular story, it makes more sense, then talk to your DM and you could do that. And what I like about that is I will say in previous editions, there's no question that there were a lot of subraces that were essentially just made like, well, you want to be an elf, but you want to be a better fighter. So you're a muscle elf. And that that's just dumb. And so basically here being able to say, fine, you really want to be an elf for various reasons, but you really want to be strong and you have a story that makes sense for it. Sure. Wayne? Well, and, and you've hit it on the nail on the head. As a DM, someone might say, wow, I'm really against you moving this because it feels cheesy. Mm-hmm. And I, I come from that same thing where it's just like, but if you have a story for it, if you have some specific reason and the DM's not suspecting you of just sort of like, I'm going to try to sugarcoat this, then it's the story of what's going to happen. I mean, one of the one of my favorite things, and I remember having this conversation with Keith when you were writing um, Wayfinders, mm-hmm. was I was saying, we were asking, well, are you going to map a certain type of elf to a certain, a certain sub-race? Right. And that sort of came out. Uh, in rising, but what about dwarves? There's mm-hmm. two types, two sub standard sub raises dwarves. What kind of dwarf is um is a morehold dwarf, or mm-hmm. what is a, a common dwarf? Yep. So that didn't end up mapping out. It was just basically these are just two different ways of expressing that your dwarfdom, right. and it's not a different race. It's not even a different sub race. Mm-hmm. It is literally it's one race, and this is just different things. So my, my take my take on the ability score increases. Um, is that I feel that there's some things that should be sort of, you know, you're picking a dwarf. There's certain things I feel that are 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 sort of more dwarfy, but that's yeah. that's me, old more old school player. Um, but having definitely having that flexibility, and one of the one of the the arguments I've heard over and over again recently is that now your selection for a class is not limited by your race. Right, mm-hmm. it's no longer well. I need to play a dex-based character. I'm not picking a dwarf, or I'm not picking a Goliath. Now I can pick a Goliath because I like those powers. I like this story behind it, but I can still have a mechanical benefit by putting by moving the strength into dex or the con into dex if, uh, on the dwarf case. Um, just in case someone doesn't know what a Goliath is. Um, and again, I, one of the things that uh, one of the things that Keith does really, really well, and I always say mm-hmm. this, is the story is so important. Fair enough. Uh, and, and I agree. And, and that is uh, the, the key point to me is, is, again, I hesitate, you know, when I first saw it. But if a player came to me with a, with a story, I'm, I'm all right with it. Uh, but I do think it does come back to that point that this is where I was saying from the very beginning, they say very clearly, all of this is optional. 
It is not saying that this is just how everything works now. Uh, so as a GM, you know, bear in mind, this is your choice. Now, my feeling is, again, if the player has a good story, if if this is going to make everyone happier and your experience happier, you should do it. But this isn't saying this is a new thing you have to do. These are all ideas. Um, one other thing that's called out in this section that I, I definitely approve of is it talks about basically how uh, within over the course of the game, within the sort of context of the story, characters could change skills or even subclasses. Uh, and basically saying, hey, you can make that part of your story if someone turns out to hate their subclass or hate decisions they've made, that changes can be either something that, oh, you're explaining it away as training uh, or even the idea of a sudden change that somehow causes the character to, to suddenly be a different subclass or even a different class. And I will say this is something I have used in multiple campaigns myself. Uh, in particular, uh, one of my favorite characters that I played in a, in a long-term campaign was actually in a fourth edition campaign where I started out playing a Dragonborn Paladin uh, from Kabara, essentially devoted to a, a version of the Sovereign Host and the, the dr uh, Draconic Religion of Theor. It really wasn't that interesting. I didn't really like the class that much. And basically, in the context of play, my character sort of shifted their faith and became a cleric of the Draconic Prophecy. And first off, I as a player was much happier with how my character played, but also how it evolved in the story felt really like this is character growth. Like my character has realized he's, you know, he's questioned his beliefs and has put himself on this completely different path. And so I really appreciate that sort of concept of don't be afraid uh, to sort of blend the story and mechanics together in that way. But on that well, note, we've got a yeah, whole I mean, lot I mean, of, of, uh, of classes and subclasses to talk about, which, you know, is one of the strongest things in this book. Wayne, want to kick us off? So we're going to go through all 12, uh, subclass, uh, sub, uh, 12 classes. There's only 12, really. Okay. We're, okay. we're talking about Eberron, so there's only 12. Um, <laughs> One's missing. Yeah, one's missing. We're not going to tell you which one. I still, I still like the fact that when you come down to it, the fact of the matter is that the Artificer was the 13th class added to 5th uh, to edition. So, you know, there you go. Anyhow, you carry go. on. <laughs> Um, so the artificer actually is reprinted in the entire book. And, uh, if you are listening to Eberron or you have anything that you have any knowledge of Eberron, you know, that the artifice was, in, was introduced, uh, in Eberron there, all the classes are reprinted from rising from the last war. I am not going to go through those, the three that have been reprinted. Right. Um, Cause Hey, because, um, you, you've probably seen them. So instead, what I'm going to talk about is I'm going to talk about the new one, the armorer. Now you might've heard me say that. My ultimate commission that I'd like to have done is a Warforged Artificer who looks like Iron Man, like the <laughs> suit, done by Addy Granov. Um, if you don't know who Addy Granov is, he's the one that designed basically the Iron Man suits for the movies. Um, <laughs> so that's – I've been looking forward to something like this. And this is one of those things that just – it makes sense. It, it makes sense that you've got a, a class – uh, an artificer class dedicated to armor. <laughs> it's it it just seems it just seems to work, and I can definitely see this being uh, not a specifically warforged armor, but basically 
you're a warforged artificer and now you have gotten the ability to not only enchant yourself but it, it basically enchant the armor that you're you've integrated into yourself and it the the image from the book is uh i believe is an elf and a an elf and a, a tiefling um, I'm not on a page right now. On an elf and a tiefling, basically battling it out um, against enemies, and it's great piece of art. Their armor's glowing, but you can just imagine that's like that's a warforged doing that. And um, I think one of the the very cool things, you know, is that uh, you can, as a bonus action, you can actually pop your helmet from the armor on and off. <laughs> now, if you, can't tell, if you don't tell me that's not that's not Iron Man, I don't know what is. You like, can literally. Tell. Um, where's where's the ability? It basically says you can fold out the uh, the the helmet as a bonus action. Fold in and fold out the helmet, and you can drop the armor and uh, armor on and on uh, as an action. I I mean, what what else would you want from arcane armor? That is so freaking cool, right? And the armor actually attaches to you, so it's great. Um, the difference uh, I can actually speak to the difference between the armor here. Um, and the armor from the Unearthed Arcana is that it doesn't have to be heavy armor. You are proficient mm. with heavy armor, but it does not have to be heavy armor, which is very, very cool. I, I have to say that is my one problem with that piece of art you referenced, that it's it specifically says this is an infiltrator and a guardian. And you can tell that because one's punching and one is shooting a bolt of energy, but that's the only way you can tell it. Like at a glance, their armor is identical. And I'm like, oh, come on. One's an infiltrator. One's a guardian. Like these should be very distinct models <laughs> of armor. But anyhow. <laughs> um, it's got a lot of cool features that are all built around the tinkerer, the tinker making improvements on the armor, making more in- infusions onto the armor, making the armor more powerful. I, I mean – in exploring Oberon, we have basically the Mighty Blade, who basically continues and to improve and enchant uh, his weapon. Um, this is the exact is the exact mirror of it as an armor. Your armor gets more powerful. Your abilities on that armor become more powerful. This is it will probably become one of my favorite classes to play. Um, that's just me. That's the kind of thing. My arm, Iron Man is my favorite Marvel character, <laughs> my favorite comic. <laughs> This is not coming as a surprise to anybody yeah. here. <laughs> uh, I, I would say one of the things to me is is you caught out early on that it's it's great for a Warforged, and I completely agree. One of the things in um, 3.5 was that Warforged artificers could enchant themselves, that Warforged artificers, uh, that artificers had to imbue their uh, magical effects into objects, but Warforged artificers could in- enhance their own bodies. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is something you could do to your armor, but armor is attached to the Warforged, so they are essentially modifying themselves. Uh, so I think it's a very sort of clear, obvious uh, path for a Warforged artificer. Uh, at the same time, one of the other things that it calls out to me is once you attach your armor, it can't be taken off against your will, and it even also calls out that your armor replaces any missing limbs. Yeah. And so one of the other character ideas that struck me about this is the Renegade Mastermaker oh. from House Canon, oh, yeah. which was basically a character who's trying to turn themselves into a Warforged. And I feel like that's definitely a story you could essentially run uh, with this this uh this archetype mm-hmm. so i've missed that association and that's a that's a very good one 
you know, basically. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, uh, I mean, prosthetic mm-hmm. limbs are, are one of the things I was introduced in Eberron, uh, rising from last war. Uh, they are re- reprinted obviously in this book as well. Um, I'm, I, you know, that's definitely one of those, those things in there, but, um, I'm betting this is going to be a fun class to play. I haven't had a chance to I, play it, obviously, <clears throat> yet. Uh, unless Keith decides to run a game right now and uh, let's go. go from there. But forget yeah. the rest but, uh, of yeah. the preview. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely like it a lot. Um, all right, uh, anything next else, Chad? Okay, so next no. up we have the Barbarian. Now, the Barbarian, starting with that, of course, uh, we hit what we didn't have with the Artificer is with the existing classes, we have optional features. And the Barbarian's slightly odd to me because it's basically not replacing something. With a lot of these, it's either replacing existing features or just adding more options to something like fighting style. Uh, The Barbarian just has two options that it's just basically saying, hey, Game Master, if you want to make Barbarians better you could add these two features. Primal Knowledge gives them uh, extra skills from the Barbarian skill list at 3rd and 10th level. Instinctive Pounce is a 7th level ability that lets them move on the same bonus action that they use to rage. And these are all great. It's just a slightly odd one because it's there's no balance to it. It's just saying, hey, make Barbarians cooler, which as a person who plays Barbarians, I love... Uh, but you know, as a person who's playing a barbarian, I'm like, how am I going to convince my game master that he should just let me have this? Uh, so that's just a, a sort of random, you know, thing. Uh, it includes two different, um, subclasses. The first is the path of the beast and the path of the beast basically turns you into a shifter. Um, it is something where, uh, you adopt bestial aspects when raging. It provides you in, with a natural weapon for a short time. And initially, my reaction was, oh, this is just kind of redundant because we have shifters who also gain bestial aspects for a short period of time. But it's not entirely redundant. Uh, you manifest a natural weapon when you rage, starting at third level, but you can choose the form of it each time. And some of the weapons have distinct benefits. So the tail, for example, is a reach attack uh, that you can also gives you a defensive reaction. Um, and you end up, uh, being able to gain bonuses to jumping, climbing, or swimming as you rage. And eventually infectious fury essentially enhances further your natural weapon attack and allow, add psychic damage that you drive people crazy. So while I was initially like, eh, you know, do we need this on top of shifters? I think it actually is something that can strengthen that idea of almost a sort of wear touch master. Uh, kind of barbarian. Um, so yeah. Anyone else have any thoughts on that? Well, it's basically they took they took a shifter and made it into a barbarian. <laughs> right. I mean, and, so if and you decide to play like a, a modified shifter that doesn't have shifting, and and there's a way to create classes, uh, create races now. And, um, here's your shifter. <laughs> yeah, and I'll say and that is the sort of thing about it is I probably wouldn't use it on its own because just on its own, I'm like, well, if I want to play that character, I'd play a shifter. But I do think if you double down on it and play a shifter who's uh, a, you know, Path of the Beast barbarian, you sort of get that extra, this is the beast within uh, manifesting. And I can definitely see someone being like, oh, that's not a bar- that's not a barbarian. That's um uh- uh, that's a lycanthrope. Well, that's a that's a wear that's a wear something or other. Go kill he, it, you know, and yeah. we have a new 
you know, we, we, you, there's, there's your story idea where it's like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm actually some sort of modified lycanthrope. Well, the other um, thing I would definitely consider with it is a Vidalis experiment gone horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Oh, you yeah. know, you grow claws or tails. And part of the fact is that you don't always grow the same natural weapon. You can choose each time you uh, rage. So I can have claws one time and tail the next. And so, yes, definitely bizarre Vidalis uh, experiment seems, seems quite possible. I'm just going to jump back one sec. I forgot. Um, each of these sections, and if you have, you know, Xanathars or anything else, they have these little quotes um, <laughs> before the classes. And I'm going to read, we're going to read them to you because they're actually really funny. So the one for the armorer, um, this is Tasha writing a little comment in her mm-hmm. book. Uh, classic artificer logic here. What if, uh, what if when our invention goes ex- explosively wrong, we're inside it? <laughs> um, yeah, these are wonderful. <laughs> They're very fun. <laughs> and it really sums up the class, the class and the subclass really well. Fair enough. Uh, so the other barbarian sub, uh, subclass is the Path of Wild Magic. Uh, this allows a barbarian to detect magic, and its main thing is that it causes a randomly rolled magical effect to happen when you rage. It could teleport you. It could charge your weapon up. It could cause shadowy tentacles to strike your foe. Uh and basically, sixth level, you get an extra different effect that is either essentially a single target bless or that lets you uh, give somebody a spell slot back, which is kind of a neat little support feature. But generally, later effects enhance the surge, give you more control over it. You get to roll twice and choose uh, choose your feature or trigger it when you're damaged, for example. And... Those, you know, I, I think it's fun. It's crazy. And what I will say is uh, I actually have been playing with a character using the earlier version of this in uh, the campaign I've been playing in the Shadow Marches with the Magic Sword. And it's been a lot of fun. The default story of this subclass is that it's tied to the Feywild. And logically, that sort of would mean, oh, it's Thelanus, you know. However, I'm not especially sold on that is how I would use it in Eberron. It is, uh, its main feature is that, it, is that it is unpredictable and that its effects are generally dangerous. And to me, this doesn't really fit with sort of the fae, I have a story, you know, I'm telling. I don't see why that should be so random. Uh, I'll say in the Magic Sword game, where we've been using it, that character actually, his power is essentially coming from Zoriad. And to me, that's a much, you know, he's not really fully in control of it. And it works really well as a, he doesn't exactly know what he's going to get. This power surges through him and something happens. Um, the other one that immediately comes to my mind is a character who survived the morning and is now charged with this unpredictable magical energy. Uh, I could also see tying it to Kithri, saying your creation of Mordain the Flesh Weaver, or the even odder approach would be a changeling barbarian who has been blessed by the Traveler, and that part of the point is you don't know what gift you're going to get. Uh, but I have to say, I personally, you know, the, the Thelanus isn't, isn't the first choice I would go with this. I would move away from it being fae-related. Any other thoughts? I guess not, not for the barbarian. Um, should we move on to the bard? Yeah, move on. Yeah. Um, so the bard, uh, like the barbarian and the artificer, well, not like the artificer, but like the barbarian, 
we go into the bard with a few optional class features again. Um, and like the barbarian, a few of those are just a bit of extra flexibility things. So you can um, switch out some spells, um, maybe an extra use for your, or different use for your inspiration. Um, but like many of the other spellcasting classes as well, it also expands the spell list um, in ways that make sense, which is always nice. Um, so I think some of the spellcasters are going to appreciate that, you know, if your DM agrees, your bard can cast aid or command, um, which uh, certainly makes sense to me. Yeah, um, command Command is a, is a good example of why couldn't a bard cast command? Yeah. But now you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there are two subclasses for the bard. Um the first one is the College of Creation, um, which is all about, well, singing the world into being and singing things into being. Um, and I think if you read the few opening paragraphs of this one, um, it'll start to sound very familiar for uh, forever on players <laughs> um, in the sense that if, at the the very last, well, the, the second paragraph in this talks about uh, legendary dragons uh, being the first to sing the world into creation. Um, and though the, the, the book here mentions uh, or ascribes this to Bahamut and Tiamat, um, it's very easy to just kind of file off those numbers and, and um, put Kyber and Sybaris and Eberron in there instead. Um, as, as I believe Player's Guide to Eberron actually did. Yes. Yeah, yeah even the um, original campaign guide, the third edition mm -hmm. one, uh, has uh, talks about the music of creation uh, for bards. So it's an idea that has a lot of um, support in the canon, I think, <laughs> already, which is always nice to see. Um, so the kind of abilities that it gives you are things like um, some uh, extra buffs for your... Um, Bardic inspiration, so you can have it sort of explode when people make attack rolls with it, um, or improve people's saving uh, throws with um, temporary hit points as well. But you can also do things like um, use, uh, I think, is it uh, once per short or long re long rest? Um, you can create mundane items with your singing. Um, and the amount of gold that you can do that with um, increases. So eventually you'll be able to do things like sing rowboats into existence, which is always mm -hmm. quite fun. Um, I think it, you have to get to 20th level before you can do things like sing a uh, full plate armor into existence. But <laughs> um, that's a fun thing to, to play with. Um, and actually, I think that kind of... Uh, is where I want to kind of mention that the Tasha's quote that Wayne was bringing up. And on this mm -hmm. one, it says, one bard song's creation is the score to another person's nightmares. Um, and I hear the word nightmares and alarm bells ring in my head. And I start thinking about how I can do um, dreaming dark and quarry with this. Um, so if you're looking for some kind of shaper scion analog, um, I think you can refluff the creation bards into something um, satisfying in that. At least you can create items, you can create a dancing item, like a, a, a pet that moves around and can attack for you. 
um, whether that's a sword that dances around or an astral construct or something like that. Um, there's plenty there. I, I definitely think uh, you're absolutely right there about this is a, a fun way to play with, uh, you know, the psionic creative effects. And it ties to that whole idea of the um, inspired and the Kalistar working with Sentira, which is supposed mm-hmm. to be a sort of ectoplasmic substance that works off emotion, you know, that they're sort of forming things out of emotions. And I think that that makes perfect sense as a sort of thought singer of this sort. Uh, Another thing is that we've often said before that in fifth edition, to a large degree, if you want to represent the greater powers of a dragon mark, you can have a dragon marked character who, uh, who flavors their class abilities as coming from their mark. And so this is also a way that you could play a character with the mark of creation and not describe what you're doing as singing, but to just say, no, you are creating things by using the power of your mark. That just as I'm saying, hey, the wild magic barbarian doesn't have to be tied to the Feywild, the uh, creation bard doesn't actually have to be uh, creating their things with song, Mm -hmm. but it is a class that allows you to create things. And so that would be one interesting way to really play up a more dramatic, I'm a Kenneth error who's not an artificer. I can just make things. Yeah. Um, So the other other bard subclass is the College of Eloquence, um, which speaks for itself. Uh, haha, thanks for the joke. Um, I think that the, the eloquence bard is a very broad concept. Um, and I think there's, there's, I wouldn't even know necessarily where to start to put it in an Eberron. There, is, there are so many ways you can do um, a bard that, that is an orator who just can, mm-hmm. can speak well, whether you do it as a, a, a kind of a, a, a a philosopher or a thinker, if you want to have a, I don't know, a, um, a Saren character who wants to uh, speak on the uh, the greatness of, of the Jewel of Galifar, or whether you have um, a, a sort of a, a Dukhani, mm-hmm. not necessarily a dirge singer, but someone who just wants to 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 logic their troops into battle. Um, it could work for that too. Um, I, I definitely agree. I also think, uh, again, it's just a, a solid choice for a character with a mark of scribing. Mm-hmm. And, and in general, I think that's the thing is you could certainly say, oh yeah, this seems like a very Siren, uh, college to me, but at the same time, it is just saying this is someone who's an incredibly eloquent speaker. You know, I mean, there's all sorts of, of different ideas that could grab into that. I don't think it has to be tied to something specific. Sure. Uh, should we move on to the cleric? Let's do it. Okay. Um, so skipping over the, the, the sort of the usual suspects of the <laughs> optional class features, otherwise we'll never have any time. Um, mm-hmm. So there are is it three, uh, three subclasses in here, order, peace, and twilight. Um Actually, the book does give you some examples uh, of Eberron deities you could um, you could represent with these divine domains. Um, so, for example, if we start with the order domain, um, it's very much about uh, sort of sticking to the rules or 
making people stick to the rules. Um, and the book uh, gives you the obvious example of the sovereign of law, Orion. Um, and it works very well for that. You know, you have some abilities like your your voice of authority where you can um, encourage people to attack. Um, it gives you some spells like uh, even command, hold person, compulsion, um, which you can see being used in sort of magical law enforcement. Um, drifting away from the sort of standards or expected um, places for this subclass, um, I'm going to plug another potential psionic <laughs> <laughs> um, outcome for this. I think it's great mm -hmm. for the path of inspiration um, as a scion who commands people by force. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so if you have a, a reagent um, character, I, I think it works really there, well, really well there as well. No, I think that's great. Um, so next up, we have the peace domain, um, which um, is a very su supporty sort of subclass. It's all about uh, sort of working together, uh, bringing people together, forming bonds. Um, and so the book quite rightly um, lines us up with Baldry of the Sovereign Host. Um, so if you want to play a feel-good cleric um, who helps your friends and protects them, um, then it's a really great subclass for that. Um, I think likewise, if you want to play uh, something like a, a protective uh, Silver Flame character, you can do with this. Um, for example, you get one ability called Protective Bond, which will allow you to uh, sort of intercept a blow to take it yourself um, or get someone else to take it, um, which feeds into that kind of teamwork or self-sacrifice thing you might find either as a cleric of Dolora or of the Silver Flame. Now, I think, you know, part of what I'd say is Dolara in particular, uh, you know, is a word sovereign still mm. uh, to me I, I do feel a path of light you mentioned the path of inspiration i feel that the path of light makes a lot of sense with this you gain proficiency in insight or persuasion you're forming bonds which themselves could be seen as an almost telepathic connection mm -hmm. and that it is uh you know a domain about peace so i that's what was my thought no i, th I think that's absolutely true um I think that's probably an ex I think it's probably the most satisfying cleric subclass um for the path of light uh, outside mm -hmm. of the mind domain as well mm -hmm. and exploring everyone so yeah, look I out agree. for that if you're playing Kalishtar. <laughs> um and then finally in the cleric we come to the twilight domain um who is all about finding protection um sort of in the, the dark spaces between night and day. Um, I think this is a, a, a trickier concept um, in Eberron in the sense there's no immediate analog. Um, the book suggests Baldry, which I think works very well um, because you get things like uh, you create a zone of, of twilight and people are... Um, 
bolstered in terms of temporary hit points and ending effects like charm and frighten while they're inside it, uh, which sort of works with Baldray's, you know, comes out of the darkness and into the hearth kind of a thing. Um, I, I, I definitely liked it for exactly that reason. I wouldn't have immediately thought of it, but once they put it out there, Baldry is, again, hearth and home. Yeah. And that idea that she is the comforting sanctuary that keeps the darkness away, I think is a kind of interesting choice as opposed to, say, Dolara, uh, who is the sun. You mm-hmm. know, and so I, I thought it was kind of cool, you know, actually giving giving Boldry a little, you know, sort of different take. So I thought it was interesting. Yeah. The book also does suggest Dol Ara for this subplot. Oh, right. And I'm a little puzzled as to why, because it doesn't really read as a as a, a bright sun self-sacrifice warrior class to me. I I do think if you did that, you'd have to reflavor it. Like mm. it talks specifically about pulling the darkness around you as a shadow and as a cloak. And that doesn't make any sense at all for her. It would have to be something like you reflavored that as, as light, you know, or something like that. But Boulder, I think is interesting. Um, okay, let's let's move on to Druid, Keith. Okay, well, moving on. Unfortunately, we're we're uh, we're going long, but there is a lot to say about Druids. So, uh, just following that same basic idea that we've seen before, the optional class features are expanding the spell list, letting you change things. Those are all good. It does add things like augury and divination to Druids, which yeah, why why shouldn't they have those abilities? So that's all great. Um, and so diving straight into the subclasses, uh, the subclasses are basically, you know, very well set, uh, two things in Eberron. Circle of Spores is about druids who believe that life and death is part of a grand cycle and find beauty in decay. They gain, uh, sort of have a halo of spores around them. They gain access to chill touch, spores that relate, I mean, spells that relate to the spores, you know, confusion or contagion, number of necromancy spells. And they basically have various ways to inflict necrotic damage tied to this aura of spores that they have. They also do have the ability to create a, a, a zombie or to sort of ultimately transform their body into this sort of fungal mass. Now, immediately this says children of winter because they are literally a group that believes life and death is part of a grand cycle and find beauty and decay. It's a little odd because we very much called the children of winter as being against undead. And here it's like, oh, they're fine with undead as long as they aren't trying to live forever. Uh, I think the easiest way to look at this is to take the whole way that they describe the um, fungal infestation power is that you create a zombie by essentially filling it up with mold. And to me, that uh, that makes perfect sense to flavor even their use of the spell animate dead is it's not necessarily drawing on Mabar, it's making a temporary fungal zombie. And it may be undead mechanically, but it's a different sort of undead is how I would handle that. Uh, yes, Wayne? Uh, I've played I've played this uh, this class, mm-hmm. and um, it reflavors really easily. Even though you have, you have mm-hmm. stop, if you stop using the th- the thought of spores, um, I played a, a character. Basically, I said every time I used the powers, it was like a venom symbiote mm-hmm. um, from the comics. Like sure, he would be covered in this black goo, and his uh, his attacks would uh, his primal his his primal attacks were just slashing attacks with with his these claws and you know chill touch was a arranged you know splash thing where he'd like throw part of the symbiote on like i would use it that way and, and 
again with the chill, especially with the chilled winter, like you said, it's a it's a matter of reflavoring. The mechanics behind it are the exact same, but if you if you describe it this way, the people at your table start seeing it that way as well. Right. And and as you just described it, that also another plausible way to do that would be to tie it to the Dalkir Kirzin, who is the Prince of Slime and who is all about creating oozes and things like that. And you could very much describe this as, as you said, it's not spores, it's an ooze that sort of emanates from you that animates things. Now, whether you'd want to do that as a player, well, you just did. So clearly you could, uh, or it's something that you could do as uh, you know, with NPC characters. So I think that's certainly plausible. Now, going on, the Circle of Stars is all about essentially divination. It's about you can use wild shape to assume this sort of starry form uh, and that you can get different abilities sort of tied to what constellations are you putting on your body. And that lets you either make a ranged attack, improve your healing, or to get essentially guidance. You have a cosmic omen ability that lets you either aid others or detract from your enemies and uh, eventually you become a sort of incorporeal, gaining resistance to forms. My thing is this is another place where I would shift the description you know, one thing you could do is to say, oh, okay, well, it's just like it sounds. However, I would shift it and make it about the draconic prophecy instead of specifically about stars. And rather, where everywhere where it talks about constellations and about star shapes, I would actually have prophecy marks appear on your body, which are similar to dragon marks, but not exactly the same. And so you would be, you know, create this glowing form with dragon mark-like shapes on you based on which constellation you chose. This ties to the fact that we've already talked about druids working with dragons in the past and having uh, observatories to sort of search for signs of the prophecy. I wouldn't say that this means the character has some great complete understanding of the prophecy, but they are able to read certain aspects of it in ways that give them these spell-like abilities. So that would be my main take on that. Anyone else have any other thoughts? Uh, so moving on, uh, the next option is the circle of wildfire, uh, wildfire basically lets you conjure up a little wildfire spirit. It, it has access to a lot of fire related spells and a number of effects that essentially tie to either causing flame damage or healing. And uh, it's, it's looks like a fun uh, class. You get that nice balance of offense and defense. Uh, to me, this also immediately has an obvious choice, which is the Ashbound. The Ashbound, first off, have always been called out as having a strong sympathy for elementals. Uh, they are a very aggressive sect, so something that lets them inflict strong damage is a good option. Um, and beyond that, even their originally the whole idea of why they're called the Ashbound is that they uh, are supposed to paint markings uh, using the ashes of trees that have been burnt. And so having sort of fire control with that to me makes a lot of sense. And uh, so I think it's a very flavorful choice for the Ashbound, though, again, any kind of character could follow it. Uh, anyone have any other thoughts? No. I guess we're going to move on. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite classes uh, in fifth edition, the fighter. And um, just to begin with, 
they've added a couple different options, a couple different things, new fighting styles, new maneuvers. Maneuvers are really, really big in this book. There's a couple of different mm-hmm. ways to acquire them. I'm not going to go through them. This is definitely something <laughs> you want to read. Um, and they're really cool. But my favorite thing, uh, brains over brawn, mind over matter. These canny warriors rightly answer, why not both? <laughs> and this is the Psy Warrior. Now, the people who might be listening to this and you're playing Dark Sun, this might not be what you want in the Psy Warrior. I think it's pretty cool. I like it. Um, And even the opening text talks specifically about two things, Githyanki and Kalstar. It's a one paragraph, two paragraph thing, and it talks about those two specifically as ideas of who, what kind of races or what kind of people are are training Psy Warriors. it is a tele- mostly telekinetic class. Um, you have abilities to sort of um, charge up your weapons, uh, throw uh, telekinetic shields, um, you know, uh, throw people, <laughs> Tele- <laughs> you can throw people, um, push people, push your enemies around, guarded mind, bulwark of force. This is um, this is your this is your your telekinetic warrior. It pairs very very well um, with fighter because. You're you're talking about uh, fighter obviously as a class where you get multiple ability ability score increases. So your secondary score here is intelligence. You can actually boost that intelligence pretty easily as well. <clears throat> Just as a, a mechanical side, um, this is the first I guess true um, true official psionics class. This is this is purely talking about psionics and of course you can basically flavor it as something else but when we're talking about well what do you give what do you what do you make sarlonan um you know people from sarlona um you know what kind of inspired are, are doing this what kind of uh kalishtar are warriors you've got a class now that uses the word psionics in the <laughs> class and it's the, it's the yeah. basic of where we're going here but Keith, you had a comment? Yeah, and one of the things I'd also just call out is is this is also a very uh, important point where we come back to the uh, switching uh, ability score increases around uh, early on. Of Some people may say, well, you say it's about Kalistar, but Kalistar don't get an intelligence bonus, so they're not very good at it. And this is exactly where I'd say if you're playing a Kalistar, uh, uh, you know, side warrior, I would definitely let you switch one of your stat bonuses uh towards intelligence yeah and obviously if you're githyanki you're talking strength intelligence so i mean that's going to work well for you anyways um as i said i like it i i I would recommend it i would play one um so that's that's definitely a a big thing here um two stories uh, up it, it just happens that the last episode we're talking about psionics and now we're actually talking about psionic classes and um it is really a nice introduction um i know that there were some some leaks and whatever recently with this book, but yeah, this this is in here. This is a uh, check it out. I, I I really like it. The second um, fighter class that's it's in the book, uh, sub, fire subclass is the rune knight. And Tasha says you're researching ancient arts and drawing runes. It's okay to just say you want to be a witch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> rune knights. Um, there was a very uh, very early on in Unearthed Arcana. There was a uh, prestige class for fifth edition that was introduced that talked about runes. Uh, we talk a lot about runes in um, the in Storm King's Thunder, and obviously that's we're talking about giants. And it, it really talks about giants in here. And we've got a great place for giants and <laughs> giant four in, in Eberron, and that's Sarlona. I mean Zendrick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And um, 
you've got this is basically there's no specific talk about Zendrick in here, but you've got a great place for this to start where where this sort of unused magic has has sort of hidden itself and now you're studying this craft and it specifically says you know what you might have discovered this somewhere carved in a wall or a cave learned runes from a sage um or maybe you went to zendrick and saw the you understood what these runes meant when you went into one of these like huge huge structures and i'm imagining a piece of art that we commissioned for a future project um and I have we have those those things. I'm like, oh yeah, that's that would be a great place. That'd be like this is where you found it. Bonus proficiencies, you carve runes. <clears throat> it is basically like a rune artificer a little bit. You're carving stuff directly into your equipment, <clears throat> and it does certain things. Um, you pick these runes, you carve it into equipment, you know, weapons, armor, and stuff like that. Um, it talks a lot about giants and, and taking on giant form and giant abilities. <clears throat> very, very cool. Um I like it. It seems really fun. Obviously, I haven't played this one, um, but you have an ability to grow into a huge creature. And uh, so I think that's going to be a little, really, really fun. It's going to be really interesting to see uh, people use it. Uh, obviously, that's a high level ability. But again, um, both fighters, I like. I like playing fighters. I like playing like the kind of Gish classes. Uh, that's G I S H. So that's probably why I picked these two. But. One of the things I think is very interesting is one of the core features that it has is giant's might, which, as you said, makes you larger. And the, the higher level you get, the larger you get. And one of the things I could see exploring in a campaign, if I had a player character who had this ability and had the subclass, is, well, where do giants come from? Like, basically, were giants just genetically big uh, people or are they giant because they're infused with magical energy? Were they sort of elevated to be giants and are you essentially undergoing the process that created the giants long ago? And I don't know where I go with that, but I'm just saying it would be an interesting thing to explore of what did it mean to be a giant anyway, in part, especially because we've already talked about the idea that, for example, the Emperor Colsir was something beyond the giants that we know today. It was something more like an Empyrean. Uh, and that idea that, again, maybe there was more to the giants than just being big people. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to explore here. And this is one of those classes that really, that is such an easy ties into the lore. Um, and especially because it's a it's a vanished effectively it's a vanished race and uh now you have some of their leftovers ruin runes um what do they do did they do something and like he said maybe they weren't giants to begin with maybe they're just you know the 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 um maybe fire giants were just really big black skinned dwarves and all of a sudden <laughs> these runes and they were able to grow to this mighty size and and take over you know you know mm-hmm. create this whole league of of uh, of of giants right so yeah never know um, but moving on from there, uh, I believe Imogen is up with Monk. Yeah. Um, so diving straight into the Monk uh, subclasses, uh, the first one is the Way of Mercy. And I think Tasha's comment says it all, really. Um, she says, play Doctor, some looks never go out of style. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's the play Doctor class. Um, it gives you some abilities where you can use your own arm strikes to both heal and harm people to cure diseases um, and so on. So it's it's sort of like the um, the, the 
the doctor with the, with a bit of darkness in there as well. Um, so I think this the, the the perfect place to put this. Uh, I think is is a uh, perhaps a disgraced Jurasco or just Jurasco with some um, fewer morals. <laughs> well, one of the things there is that we actually already did. Mm. That the Dragon Marked uh, source book has what's called the Nusamantic Chirurgeon. And that that is very specifically a Dragon Mark Jurasco prestige class that is about you've learned to use your mark to harm as well as heal. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is absolutely, uh, you know, if you play it as a Dragon Marked um, Jurasco, it's absolutely the No Semantic Chirurgeon. So, yeah. Yeah. So, Updating some old old edition stuff in a perfect way there. Um, yeah. Um, so the one after that is The Way of the Astral Self, um, which is a very, I want to say very visual subclass because it, it gives you such a clear idea of what your magic is and what you're doing. Um, you manifest extra arms out of your key, your astral self, and you fight with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and as you level up, your your astral self takes on a, a sort of more complete form so you can get a, a full body or awaken a full body of astral self um, and cloak yourself in it. Um, I think this is another sort of psionic class um, in the sense, I mean, it's not explicitly written as psionic, but it fits very well with um, the, the Kalashtar and the Inspired um, and you, you always see in, in, in artwork, um, Kalashtar and inspired with sort of a spectral outline of a quarry, um, draped over them. And usually I think that's more an artistic decision than necessarily what you would see in, in, you know, if you were stood in front of one of these characters, but the image is hard to ignore. And I think having a, you know, two giant pincers, spout mm-hmm. from uh, ectoplasm from your back is, is a fun way to show that you have a quarry inside you. <laughs> this is this is one too where again to me this is very much we had an old prestige class in 3.5 called the quarry nightmare. Mm-hmm. And we did a sort a version of that with the living weapon in um exploring Eberron. This I feel is a much more direct uh, version of that concept. The quarry nightmare was the whole idea of it was that you extended a ectoplasmic projection of your quarry spirit. And that's, you know, basically exactly what you've got here. So I think it's, it's a very good model of that. I have to say, I also just love the idea of a warforged who actually just grows two extra arms, <laughs> you know, that they aren't, yeah. you just temporarily, you know, pop out two extra arms. It's sort of that general grievous moment, isn't it? Well, exactly. Which again, when we first created the Lord of Blades, uh, my original concept was that he actually had four arms. Then two of them, he just folded behind his back. So that weird sort of wing-like structure that he has originally was just supposed to be two more arms with arm blades. And that was before general grievous. So (laughs) carry on. Let's do the paladin. Um, so there are two paladin subclasses. Uh, the first one is the Oath of Glory. Um, so this is very much tied into the sort of um, 
battle as an athletic pursuit. It's about facing challenges with your body. And for me, it fits very well with the Paladin uh, of Doldorn. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to take it a, a sort of a religious route. Um, otherwise, um, it's often about sort of boasting, <laughs> um, in which case I could see a tie into to the Mraholds there where you want to tell your legend, uh, perhaps represent yourself. I don't know if you, if you wanted to relive the tales of, of the great Mra, um, Moranin, uh, yourself, then you could do something with, with this, this paladin, uh, subclass as well. I think that's a very fun idea. I hadn't actually thought about that myself, but I do think that fits as almost, you know, a touch of bard of your telling the grand stories of your ancestors and at the same time sort of drawing strength from that. And uh, we've said in Exploring Eberron that part of the whole idea is that they just tell stories, unlike the Valinar, who are very specific about who they're talking about, that the Moor are just telling stories about Moranin. And it doesn't really matter which Moranin it was. It was just Moranin. He did amazing things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great way to to play a dwarf paladin here. So, yeah. Well, I think I think Keith kind of hit hit the nail on the head. He just said it. Valinar. Who else is who else is riding around looking for fights? Looking for looking glory, for glory yeah, to tell their wrong. story. I mean, not you're, wrong. You're, and this is a fighter class i mean it's well you're gonna have a bunch of elves riding around with with uh, scimitars and double scimitars going around trying to make a name for themselves uh that's pretty much their oath to their ancestors you know i'm gonna honor you and bring glory to your name mm-hmm. here you are that's yep. my oath yep sure um so the second paladin subclass is uh the watcher um, which is all about protection against extra plane of threats. So you have your um, channel divinities to, to abjure extra plane of things. Um, you can rebuke extra plane of things. You can um, make sure people are vigilant against extra plane things. Um, and the whole subclass screams gatekeeper and it screams mm-hmm. edgewalker. Um for the reagent side, uh, if you wanted to go to Salona, um, I'm not sure there's much more to say on that. It's it's a very apt subclass if you want to play an orc paladin or a or a reagent paladin. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a case to be made for the Gashkala uh, ah, as well. Yeah. You're going there sure. because again, you know, exorcism is sort of an aspect of it. But yeah, it's just a pretty solid paladin class all around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so jumping into rangers, and we're we're already going long, but uh, but I gotta say, ranger is is uh, is a big one because most of these optional class features are just like, hey, give a barbarian an extra skill or add spellless. The ranger optional class features are basically a soft redesign of the entire class. Uh, they are they offer you instead of saying this is an extra, they're saying, well, you could swap this for that. And the things that you swap are are very dramatically uh, different. To give like very quick uh, quick overview, Deft Explorer replaces Natural Explorer. It grants expertise and a skill in two additional languages. As you go up in level uh, six level, your walking speed increases by five feet, and you gain a climbing and swim speed. 
equal to your walking speed. Uh, and ultimately, at the highest level, you gain additional, essentially temporary hit points, and you remove a level of exhaustion after a short rest. So all of that together is about making you very versatile in your movement and the ability to uh, shake off exhaustion much more easily than other characters is an interesting one. All of which, compared to Natural Explorer, really was a fairly, you know, not a, usually having a dramatic effect uh, on most campaigns and, of course, being tied to a specific thing. So it is more generally useful. Favored foe replaces favored enemy. And instead of having the whole, well, I better hope that there's an Oles in this adventure because that's what makes my character good, it's essentially a variation of Hunter's Mark. It lets you pick a creature, mark it, make it your favored foe, get to deal extra damage against it. And so again, it is much more versatile and less limited than the, you know, even if it has a little less flavor. Um, as you go on, the primal awareness replaces primeval awareness and is basically about being able to cast certain druid spells that all make sense as being in touch with nature without using spell slots. This again is more useful than uh, primeval awareness, which was largely, hey, I can ask if there's, uh, you know, undead within six miles of me. Yes? Okay. You know, you couldn't really get more information than that. Uh, so it gives the character a much stronger druidic feel and a, you know, is a little more practically useful. And finally, they added in um, Nature's Veil, replacing Hide in Plain Sight. Hide in Plain Sight, let you take a minute to camouflage yourself and then be harder to see if you stood still next to something. Nature's Veil just says, as a bonus action, you can make yourself invisible till the start of your next turn. Uh, a number of times up to your proficiency bonus. And it's just simpler and more versatile. So all of these things are technically optional, but I think they definitely make the ranger a much more, uh, you know, a much less sort of narrow character. They also, in their fighting style, style options, have a feature called Druidic Warrior that lets you learn some Druid cantrips. And that, again, all leans towards letting you have a ranger that feels more druidic, that feels like they're part of a druidic order. So that all fits very well with Eberron. And likewise, yep, anyone want to say before I move on to subclasses? Yeah, I mean, I, I know a lot of people are like, well, what if we have a druid without spell casting? I've, I've heard that comment a lot. But when you think or about wild druid, shape, yeah. Yeah, you know, like when you think about it, you know, this is really adding some some flexibility to the druid class, the sorry, the ranger class. Um, and it's very much in keeping, sort of in line with Eberron. Well, we're talking specifically Eberron today, obviously. Yep. Um, so it's really giving you some of that some of that flavor and i feel that that's a really really good addition yep. um obviously a lot of people have asked oh you know druid's like kind of the they, they've said druid is the least liked class of all the 12 original classes there's only 12 classes uh, the 12 original classes um so really this is also an opportunity for them to sort of make some tweaks to it yep. so and, um, and really, i think really nice. i think they did a good job you know but it is a much more dramatic shift than the other optional effects which are pretty seriously optional now, uh, the subclasses, in addition to the whole general shift helping very well for Eberron-style rangers, uh, the subclasses are very, you almost think someone was just saying, taking the different Eldine sets and slapping classes. <laughs> uh, the Fade Wanderer adds Touch of Magic. Your weapon attacks deal some extra psychic damage. You get a few cool spells like Charm Person and Misty Step. Uh, you get to add your Wisdom modifier to your Charisma checks. 
and gain perception and de- uh, deception performance or persuasion. And I thought that was a fun little way to say, oh, rangers aren't usually that charismatic, but uh, you're a little more charismatic. Uh, so that's neat. Uh, you can summon Fae and do some you know, Misty Sept teleportation. All of this is a fantastic match for a green singer. You know, this this really fits uh, what the Green Singers are all about. It also could be anybody who traveled to Thelanus and, you know, has formed a bond to an Archfey, especially an Archfey like the Forest Queen. But it's absolutely Green Singers, uh, Green Singers right there. Wayne, do you have a thought? Um, Keith didn't uh, read the the opening par- the opening no, line here, and this is a wonderful opening paragraph uh, from Tasha. Uh, Do you think a kilt is a vital part of the Fey Wandering aesthetic? And if not, why are you so wrong? <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, the next you have the Swarm Keeper, who essentially has a swarm as a companion. Technically, it's a swarm of nature spirits, you know, so it can't be like destroyed or things like that. But they can appear as bugs. They can appear as pixies. Uh, it can move you or the target your attack. It can affect additional damage. It acts as a mage hand. You get various spells, which they suggest you flavor as, oh, I'm, you know, using my swarm in this way. Um, and ultimately, you can sort of merge into it. Again, to me, doesn't have to be, but this is an excellent option for a child of winter uh, ranger. You could also very much, as we talked about previously, go a in direction, but... Uh, I could also see an odd sort of a vampire Carnathy scout who either flavors this as mist or bats. Um, but nonetheless, it's a fantastic choice for uh, for the children of winter. So I'm very happy about that. And uh, they also have an alternate feature for the Beastmaster Ranger, which gives you a sort of magical primal beast instead of a natural beast. And uh, I think that's one that could also work reasonably well uh, when you're playing Valinar. So there you go. Moving on to rogues. The rogues. So uh, we have two more this time. Mm -hmm. Um, One is an old idea. One is uh, somewhat newer. Um, So we start with the phantom, uh, the phantom rogue, um, who is sort of a, a necromancy focused uh, rogue, they um, capture people's souls into little trinkets, um, which you can then use to question the soul or to give yourself a bit of sneak attack damage. Um, so the book itself even suggests that Karnath might have its fair share of of phantom rogues, um, which I think it might. Um, especially if you're leaning into a, a sort of a nastier side of the blood of fall um, sort of thing. We, I'll, I'll just call out that we have mentioned in canon the idea that Karnath had an intelligence service called the Raven Corps that was specifically uh, seekers, you know, using necromantic powers uh, to gain intelligence. So this absolutely to me seems like you could be yeah. an ex of the Raven Corps, who, after all, it was disbanded uh, when you know when the blood of all was was cut ties with the crown. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, you could also do things with, um, say, you could flavor these 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 trinkets that you create from people's souls. You could flavor that as a, a sort of a keeper's fang type of ability. Mm-hmm. Um, referencing that 
magic item. Um, and maybe you're a cultist of the keeper, saving these souls. Um, uh, yeah, you're at that. That also actually strikes me in the article I wrote online on the keeper. I think we specifically talked about even a class of assassin called the keeper's fang that are sort of tasked by the keeper, you know, to to take out certain people, and that seems like a great thing here too. Mm-hmm. Um, I also point to I, I think that the blood sales are a good place for something like this. Sure, um, if only because it sort of marries that idea of um, death and undeath with money <laughs> or like having trinkets that you can buy and sell which are sort of an undead um mm-hmm. flavored thing uh, yep. could go quite well up in the lazar principalities yep. um so next we have the soul knife um another long-awaited psionic subclass um so i mean that this is an old archetype that goes all the way back to the the 3.5 soul knife class um you can manifest a blade of psychic energy and you can stab people with it <laughs> um or throw it at people or or so on um so like the cyanite fighter it's it's built with a sort of a pool of um powerpoints it's psionic powerpoints which are d6s that you can spend on on effects whether it's give you bonuses to to damage your attacks um this one actually lets you create telekinetic, telepathic um, connections with people. So, I mean, like all these psionic classes, it's great in the hands of a Kalashtar um, or any other source of psionic power. It could be Zoriat or uh, something inspired or reagent. Um, yeah. Fairly I'll, straightforward, I think. <laughs> No, absolutely. And, and I'll just say that this is the thing is, is all the way back to races of Eberron, uh, soul knives have always been something that had been closely tied to the Inspire and to the Kalistar. And we even had, I think, a variant soul knife in races of Eberron. Uh, one of the things I'd always call out in talking about uh, Kalistar and inspired soul knives is to consider that you're basically sort of making your weapon out of dreams. And mm-hmm. that's a thing to consider in how you describe it. It doesn't just have to be like a blade of energy. Uh, you could have it be much more sort of dramatic. This is like formed out of your nightmares. And uh, yeah, like that. Well, I believe I'm next. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, one thing for soul knife, you do have to read uh, you do oh, have yes. to read the. Uh, uh, um, the go ahead. Jim. Okay. <laughs> so the soul knife quote from Tasha is I also have the ability to manifest my thoughts in ways that cut people. I call this power words. <laughs> Thanks, Tasha. <laughs> Sorcerer's next. Um, I pick Sorcerer because, hey, we've got another sign of class here. Um, obviously, done a little bit different, different flavor, but we're talking about the aberrant mind and the clockwork soul for. For uh, sorcerer, a couple things in sorcerer that are introduced. Obviously, new meta magics and additional meta magics you can sl- select. Uh, additional spell lists and expanded spell lists. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people will be like, "Why isn't this on the the uh, sorcerer spell list? It doesn't make any sense." Um, some of those things, but mostly the meta magic and then the kind of versatility. One of the things that the sorcerer's uh, origins have done is they've given you slightly more things to do with your um, sorcery points, and that's one of the things that I definitely had a. a 
not a complaint, but I had a comment about was just basically, yes, I can cast spells. Yes, I can use meta magic, but shouldn't these be giving me more abilities to do different things? And they've definitely done some of that with the Sorceress Origins. Um, Aberrant Mind. All right. Um, Tentacles, psychic power, beings from beyond the stars. One person's bad dream is another person's good time. (laughs) Again, from Tasha. Um, We're talking about an... If you kind of look back in the, the 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 lore since about third edition, psionic powers come from a, a response to the far realms. The far realms, uh, you know, the far realm, the aberrations invade. They have psionic powers, so um, humanoids and other people develop psionic powers to combat them. Like that's sort of the base idea behind them. Uh, I believe in third edition or three point five. I can't remember. So you have the far gate, the far realms, everything like that. So aberrant mind is basically you are being touched by some sort of outside aberration, some sort of thing. And obviously this just screams Zoriat to, to me. Um, this is, this is basically be my idea of how psionics work, um, in homebrew campaigns. Um, so really that really does speak to that. Obviously we're going to talk also about, you also talk about, you know, you know, nightmare spirits, they are called quarry. So mm-hmm. again, one of those things that kind of touch in mm-hmm. there, um, bring in, there's a, a table. I love these tables, aberrant origins, a D six. you got a couple different things. Um, your nightmares whisper the truth to you. Your psionic powers are not your own. You draw them from a parasitic twin. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that sounds like the dreaming dark, but it definitely <laughs> kind of might. Uh, so that idea is baked in there. Keith? Yeah, and, and that's the thing to me is in Eberron specifically, we've generally said that psionic powers generally flow from either Dalcor or Zoriad. And that traditionally back in third edition, Dalcor was associated more with the sorts of powers of the Scion, where it's like, this is something I can order, I can focus. Uh, and that Zoriad was associated more with things like the Wilder, where it's basically like, this is just crazed alien power that I can't really wrap my brain around, but it's flowing through me. And so that definitely, you know, feels good here. Yeah. And for people who are looking for that scion and wilder division, it doesn't really happen um, in this book. And the, the sorcerer is not the wilder. Um, it actually is a little bit of a flavoring of a warlock. You've got some warlock spells and, and that sort of idea kind of flows through in here. <clears throat> so yes, you are using your brain, you're using your psionic powers, and you can you can basically cast both spells and psionic, uh, what they call psionic spells or psionic sorcery. Um, it's But it doesn't take that like wild, wild mm-hmm. sorcerer, like wild magic, um, or wild, uh, wilder feel. It's really, there's certain things. It's, it's really about talking about that thing that's in your head, your exposure to that. That's what, what happened to you. And of course, that's what happens to, uh, sorcerers. There's something in your blood, right? Mm-hmm. Second one of these, um, the second one of these is the clockwork soul. So I really tell people that I speak Modron because invariably they just want to know how to curse. So let's get this out of the way now. Lesson one, beep bop and other slams. <laughs> Cosmic Force, that it's basically, it is the, this is the order, you know, you have the order domain for clerics, you have the order bloodline for sorcerers, and that's really what this is. And it, it, it kind of reinforces that quite well. A lot of those things are restoring the balance. It's not good or bad, it's restoring what was status quo, their big, uh, their big power at the like 18th level powers, basically, restore 100 hit points into this area and do this damage. Uh, cure this. Um, it's it's quite fun. It's quite interesting. 
And this is where you really see a lot of the usage of you spend sorcery points to use this again. And I really, really like that. I really like how that's done because it's really emphasizing the point that, yes, you can cast spells. Yes, you're a primary spellcaster, but you got a lot of that stuff. Now, we talk about when we talk about um, Eberron, we don't have Mechanis, um, mm-hmm. but we do have Damvi. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and the order, the law and, and order yeah. uh, section of our book here. And, and that's the thing to me, actually, is that, frankly, when I first saw this, I thought, oh, clockwork. Oh, I guess it's like something for, for Warforged. But really, when you actually look at the abilities, it's order. Like, there's nothing about it that is about and your character becomes mechanical in some way. Yeah. It is all about enforcing order on things. So I agree. I feel Danvi is is what you're basically looking at here. Yeah, I, I think the, the word clockwork is really just meant to signify the click, tick, 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 tick yeah. sort of clockwork rather than the mechanical, Steady. I'm Agreed. a robot clockwork. Yep. Um, other than the fact that we're talking about Modrons and they 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 reference like the Modron idea in, in yeah. here. But yeah, really a... Really, a, you got exposed to the the wild, not so wild energies of Danvi, and hey, it's it's made you a bastion of order and law and balance in uh, humanoid form. That's kind of what I look at it from here. Yeah. Um. Anyhow, so moving on, we have the warlock. Uh, and the warlock, they add again, add more spells. They add a new pact with the talisman. Uh, they add a number of invocations. And I will just specifically say a far scribe is a great option for a civis warlock. Uh, it allows you to basically use sending with a set group of people through your pact tome. You write their names in the tome and hey, you can send to them and write and back with the words appearing in your book. And it essentially is like you are a portable message stone, you know, option. So it's super, uh, super great option for a Civis Warlock. It also, I have to say, if I was playing that character, I would flavor things. I would just totally steal from Death Note and I would have my Eldritch Blast be writing bad things about people in my book. It would be my burn book uh, that actually burns people. Uh, The... Patrons that they add are the um, the fathomless patron has power over wind and water. It gains the swim speed and the ability to breathe underwater, and you can create a spectral tentacle to attack foes. As you continue, you gain the power to speak to anyone underwater to resist cold damage, and your tentacles become more versatile. Now, the obvious path to me when I read about this is the Lirandar Firstborn. Either Lirandar or Korivar, you wouldn't necessarily have to be dragon-marked to take this, uh, who have always been associated. They've had the idea that their uh, their great ancestors turned into krakens and now dwell beneath uh, the ocean. And saying that your patron is, you believe, one of these firstborn uh, makes a great deal of sense. It ties to all the water abilities and to the tentacle. Uh, I could also see it just being uh, Lirandar in general, uh, following the idea of the storm sorcerers, I'm just using these powers as a way to describe the abilities of my dragon mark. And the tentacle could even be presented as just a lash of wind or water, not actually some kind of actual organic tentacle. Um, so either of those make a lot of sense to me. It could also just be a warlock tied to an aquatic power like uh, the lurker in darkness, the overlord we discuss in exploring Eberron. Um, or even potentially, you know, something like the, you know, a great thing if you're playing a Malenti and you'll want to be a Suagamatized to the, um, 
eternal dominion. The other one we have is the genie, which we've also you know seen again, seen before in various forms, and it is uh, adds spells largely tied to the element of your patron, but also with some illusion and conjuration. You get a vessel that you can hide inside, or that adds damage to your attacks. And uh, you gain the ability to bring others into your vessel. You gain some limited wish types of abilities. But a lot of these things are tied to what kind of genie are you dealing with. And so uh, from exploring Eberron, we talked very specifically about uh, Afridi and Dao. And either of those are a, a great match. You know, the lore we presented there worked perfectly with this. We didn't actually talk about uh, the djinn, and that was a, a mistake. They were actually supposed to be mentioned in Serenia. So that's an option there, too. Uh, but as I said, I really think the Afrit in particular would be the path I would be likely to take. Anyone else? No, looks like good. Moving on. Uh, and that's 12. And I'm just kidding. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> and that's 12 classes. We're moving on. Um, uh, we're running a little long on time, but uh, we wanted to go through the the, the 12 plus 1 class, uh, which is Wizard. And uh, we've got a reprint here. Obviously, um, they reprinted Bladesinger in the book. And uh, they took out one big uh they, it took out one big thing, uh, which is the fact that there is no race restriction uh, for Bladesinger, right? Um, and that brings up a really, really good, really, really huge thing because what that means is that um, you don't have to be an elf or half elf mm-hmm. in order to play one of these classes, right? Um, and specifically this one, because I think this is one of the, this is one of my sort of favorites um, from second edition, second edition, third edition. This idea, obviously, again, I, I'm playing Gish. One of those things I, I, I like doing, right? Um, it is the same class. There's some modifications uh, to it. Um, there's some some modifications to it on how some of the powers work or the whatnot. But if you you recognize this from Sword Course Adventurer's Guide, um, it's the same thing. But how does this apply to Ebron? Well, everyone ever heard of the Night Phantoms? Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's, here's your class for it. Um, here's your your stereotypical Gish class, and it fits right into being from Ondere. Yep. You're a wizard with a flashy sword, and this whole class, obviously, if you've never seen it, feels flashy. You get perfor- you get um, proficiency in performance. Your literal attacks are like a dancing blade song. You are singing um, when you're attacking. It's the the tradition is called blade singing, right? Um, so that I think that really fits in with that uh, aesthetic. Obviously, you know, elf still works. Um, you can even you can even say I, I would even say that if you turn it from singing into like an oral chant or something like that, I can even see something like Civis, where it's like I'm using the power of my words and power of my my dragon mark to bolster my my uh, my magic and uh, to create that sort of thing. I know that's it's, it's a little out there, uh, <laughs> but that's one of the things that I, I've sort of thought about there. But I know there's another class, there's another subclass here that, that fits that a little more. Um, and so the second class, the second subclass is the Order of Scribes. And this is your archivist. This is your um, sage, your university mage, you know, who basically empowers words, empowers your spell book to do stuff, right? Um, I think the, where's the, let me just look at the quote. 
Um, <laughs> magic is great and all, but have you have you smelled the book? <laughs> so, um, and it, it basically says among wizards, the order of scribes is the most bookish. This is your civis. This is your civis yeah. um, working thing. This is where the power of the words and the power of your written, your writing, your scribing, huh, matches, um, really comes into focus. Um, I haven't looked at this one too carefully, um, but there's a lot of stuff like it's creating. Um, you can create a tiny quill. You can activate your spell book. Um, you can create magic scrolls, that kind of stuff. This is really that sort of focus class and really, really plays very well to that theme. Um, any comments on this? Nope. Nope. No, I think that covers it. Yeah. Yay. Yay. So <laughs> as we, as we go through, obviously we're running a little long. So there's some stuff in the dungeon master section. Um, there's obviously chapter three is magic items. Um, there's, a, there's magic and magic items, uh, personalizing spells and stuff like that. Personalizing spells, I would definitely ask you, I would actually say, take a look at it because it will kind of give you some of that flavoring that you may feel like, oh, the spell doesn't, you know, why is it called Tasha as well? There's no Tasha in everyone. Here, personalize your spell, okay? Um, obviously, and different, uh, one of the things is like, you know, different, uh, maybe different uh, damage types and, and whatnot. Um, magic items, that's really, I think, one of those things that is very much in the, the, the DMs thing. So take a look at it, see if it fits your campaign. Um, we're going to skip over the Dungeon Master tools just because um, that's just a lot of stuff that's really helpful, really useful, and you can very easily flavor because it says, like, this is chaos and whatever. The last thing, uh, again, we're going to sort of skip this. I, I apologize because of time, is group patrons have made it into mainstream D&D. Woo! If, and if you, uh, <laughs> yeah, if you, uh, if you got Rising, you had um, group patrons. <clears throat> great idea. Great way to set the theme and the mood for uh, a game you're going to play in Eberron. And now D&D has adapted that uh, and adopted it for the rest of the campaigns. The only major difference is a couple of new ones. Um, obviously, the ones in this book are not specifically tied to Eberron, like like the ones in Rising. Um, but they've also added in stuff like perks, where you have very solid two to four things that this group patron will give you, like room and board, uh, a salary. Those kind of things have really tied in. So they pretty much match one-to-one to the ones in Rising and a couple new ones. The names might have been changed. Take a look at it. Uh, it's pretty simple. It's, it gives you a mechanical benefit sort of tie your players in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're about 20 minutes over time than we usually yeah. do. <laughs> um, but any last thoughts? Um, here's the last thought. Which, which is your favorite of the subclasses? Hmm. <laughs> That's a good question. Well, I think your, yours is easier. You go first. Um, I'm, t- I'm torn between the armorer, artificer and the Psy warrior fighter that those are the ones I jump to first. Um, those are the two classes that I, I play a lot of obviously artificer as well, uh, more recently. And, um, yeah. I, Imogen? uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Imogen, what do you got? Um, I think the standouts for me are the, um, the rune knights and the phantom rogue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of bait and flavor with those, and I'd be excited to play them. Yeah. I definitely, the, the Phantom Rogue is one I'd certainly think I would enjoy playing. I'm definitely curious about, I would I would give the um, the Fae Wanderer a try in part because I, I want to try out all the, the new ranger features, and I love a green singer. So that's one I could certainly see doing. <laughs> but there's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Well, I guess that's it for us this this week. 
Um, okay. Well, shall I take us home? Yeah, yeah. please. <laughs> okay, thank you all for listening. Um, be sure to visit our website at manifest.zone where you can find uh, subscription links to our show, post comments on the episode, or, or leave a review on your favorite podcasting service. Um, and of course, you can find all the links to our social media. So do let us know any feedback you have on these episodes. And join us next time as we finally make it to Kapara this time, we promise. <laughs> and until next time, keep exploring.